Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you once again to open up episode one of two this week. And we are now one week out of learning the Big Ten's intentions to punt football plants into 2021, sitting out along with the Pac-12 thus far as the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 carry on with preseason plans for September kickoff. We're going to learn a lot in the next few weeks. We learned a few new things in a phone call on Monday afternoon. Not quite as much as we thought we might learn, though. Sandy Barber, uh, Director of Athletics for Penn State, uh, speaking with media members for the first time since the Big Ten postponement announcement uh, came through last week. She did issue a statement on behalf of Penn State University, uh, shared some thoughts uh, on their website last week, but this is the first time she fielded questions. Uh, we were on the call. We have a lot of coverage up on lines247.com, and we have a lot to get to right here, Sean, and first and foremost... Uh, how exactly was this monumental decision determined, one that uh, could have a fallout of financial losses that reached nine figures for universities like Penn State? Well, after 58 minutes with Sandy Barber, I can't give you an answer on that, and apparently neither can she. Wow. I, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, you expect her to, as an athletic director, do some sort of coach speak, AD speak, if you will. And sort of toe the party line, do all the stuff we did, we did right by our students, athletes and keeping them safe and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. Um, that's just basically what we've come to expect. And then all of a sudden you turn it on its head and say, I, I don't know if there was a vote. I mean, we don't, you know, we weren't, I, I, that just to me is, is absolutely crazy. And I kind of get why she said it. And I think, uh, she's not the first person that said that, as you saw by the Dennis Dodd tweet, I believe it was Minnesota's president. Uh, echoed something Correct. similar. That's uh, that's notable right there because I, you know, like we've been saying the whole time, didn't hear about a twelve to two vote. That I think Dan Patrick was the first one to say something, or somebody on his show said something of that nature. But I mean, you got to think there's something in here. I mean, you don't just see the new president going rogue or anything like that. It's just. It's crazy, man. And the Big Ten is, is taking some lumps and, and probably rightfully so. This is an absolute disaster by them. And the, the longer this plays out with the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC forging ahead to play, whether or not they play, obviously still very much up in the air, but forging ahead and putting that distance between them and the Big Ten and kind of the Pac-12, but the Big Ten's bearing the brunt of it. So this is not, uh, not ideal for the, uh, the Big Ten conference right now. You mentioned it there. Minnesota President Joan Gable, uh, according to Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, uh, her quote was, we didn't vote per se. It was a deliberative process. And remember, that news from the Big Ten officially uh, came last Tuesday late afternoon. But remember, coming out of the weekend, there was a general consensus among uh, reporters who are tapped into this thing at a national level and a Big Ten level level that a decision had been determined. And we quickly saw uh, the We Want to Play movement among players on social media, including a huge segment of the Penn State roster and a bunch of notable Big Ten players. And we saw the parents release a statement in support of continuing football. And we saw James Franklin go on national TV, as we documented last week, and make his case for at least pushing off any kind of final determination on where the Big Ten should take the fall sports season. And instead, uh, we get that succinct uh, halt to the process, and, and the players are essentially told, hey, preseason practice is over because there is no season to prepare for here in 2020. Um, it has left a lot of people stinging, and I think it certainly does add to a climate 
of, you know, people being very concerned what they're getting from the Big Ten and being skeptical about the information they're receiving from leadership. It has been extended well beyond sports questioning leadership throughout this process in the pandemic. Now we're seeing it centralized squarely here in the college football universe. It's a costly effect. The economics of, of towns like State College are riding on football being played. And the attempt to get there and actually get to kickoff, that plug was pulled so early on August 11th, Sean, that there needs to be a how here. We know why uh, the Big Ten presidents and chancellors may want to move in that direction after speaking with their medical experts, after examining the potential long-term, long-term consequences. There is a case to be made, and the Pac-12, I thought, did a nice job putting that uh, for full display for a lot of people to see what they, what they were concerned about from a medical standpoint. Uh, the Big Ten, that transparency has not been there. We know, again, why they would lean that direction. We don't know how they got to the finish line. And these players deserve to know why. The fans deserve to know why. Coaches like James Franklin deserve to know why. And by the way, we're going to speak to James Franklin on Wednesday. We have not heard from him uh, since this decision came out. I think that says a lot. He has been active on social media about some other things. So birthday wishes, a commitment that came through, but not about this subject. And, and that says a lot to me. Apologies for the language, but what an eloquent way to call it a shit show. I mean, this was... Thank you. Yeah, that was really good. Really good job. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's got to be frustration. We've, you know, we've been talking to people in the program and there's just been a serious lack of connection between Lash and Old Main and, and the Big Ten Conference and whoever it is. And, you know, I think Sandy said that they, they listened to some players and got some input, but really not about that, you know, about other things, about how they, they've handled situations. So uh, it seems to be quite a disconnect. It doesn't seem like Penn State's alone in that. I mean, you've got Ohio State and Michigan and Nebraska, obviously, and, and Iowa's, you know, sort of come out in the last couple of days as well. So, I mean, it's good to be on that team. You know, I think uh, the Big Ten really, with the lack of transparency, the, the way that they've handled it, the the way that they've gotten there, and I'm not saying that the decision would have been any different had they taken a little bit more time, given themselves some some time to, to make this work. But man, I mean, every day that goes by, you know, we're going to celebrate the SEC, Big 12 and ACC on that angle. Um, but, you know, they're just going to lay into the Big Ten. And that's what's happening right now. And that's not good for your your brand. That's not good for your conference. And that's not good for the schools in your conference because you're going to have to deal with that on the recruiting trail, you're going to have to deal with that kind of everywhere. You're going to, you know, as a, as a program right now, you're going to have to watch your own players and make sure that they're not, you know, searching for greener pastures or at least pastures in which you can play right now. And I mean, I, I still don't know that those three conferences are going to end up playing, especially for, from some of the stuff that we've seen at say North Carolina in the last couple of days, but still, I mean, they're going to at least take the time and basically, you know, Greg Sankey could get, Two weeks from now could say, okay, we're not playing, but here's the thing. We took all the time we needed. We explored every option. We did everything that we could to save the season. We just couldn't get there. And that's a long time. You know, you and I know from covering recruiting, just it seems like things happen. It's so drawn out. It's so long. I mean, you, you talk about these waiting for decisions and things like that. And, you know, it's in, in reality, it's a very short period of time. A, you know, a kid announces that he's announcing and then in two weeks and then that two weeks sort of crawls along in his recruitment and you can see twists and turns like that. It's not a very long time, but at the same time, it, I mean, it is painstaking and, and we're, we're seeing that on the conference level. We're seeing the, the, the higher ups in the big, tw- the big 10. I mean, you've got 
parents flying up to to meet with with uh, administrators in the Big Ten in Chicago. I mean, it's just it's a mess right now, man. As long as the other conferences are in gear playing football and they're avoiding a train wreck, and and we'll see on that. We will see in the next few weeks. Um, as long as that's happening and, and they're on track for football, the Big Ten is going to be intensely scrutinized at a higher and higher rate. And at the end of this, there may be a lot that the Big Ten is proud of in making this decision and, and leading the Power Five conferences and stepping away from football for 2020. Maybe in retrospect, that will be something that they can lean on as a proud moment. But I don't think regardless of where this path takes us and where it takes college football for the remainder of the year, they can be proud of, of the way this was delivered to student athletes, the way this was delivered to coaches, and from the sounds of it, and most startling, delivered to athletic directors. We're talking about athletic director Sandy Barber at a preeminent powerhouse program, not just in the Big Ten Conference, but across college athletics, Penn State. Uh, I mean, for her to not have an answer a full week later uh, either shows that she's not being truthful and she knew that question was coming, or she purposely wants to make people understand that she was not not just in the room and she said I wasn't in the room I wasn't in the Zoom call but she has not even had the communication or confirmation that a vote took place and she was asked about this three times it first went from it's unclear to me whether there was ever a vote or not the second time she actually said Sean I will make myself much clearer it is unclear to me whether or not there was a vote nobody has told me there was a vote. Uh, I just don't know whether there actually was a vote by the chancellors and presidents. And you'd have to imagine the conversation would come up with Sandy Barber about President Barron, uh, at least from the Lash building. That question uh, would have surfaced. That conversation would have been crossed from high-profile donors and, and those who support this athletic department. And you just have to wonder here, Sean, um, to, to say that she did not have that answer, uh, you know, we weren't the first to ask her what what Penn State went into that conversation with. The only thing she would say is that President Barron fought on behalf of Penn State and and and, and did that in going into those Big Ten conversations. Uh, but but no confirmation of a vote one way or the other. And in fact, almost acting as though um, she wasn't in the loop in any way to have that information. Just absolving herself of of whatever it was. And that's you know that is one thing that ADs do, but. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Unclear is, it was very unclear that the way that was handled. And you're right. I mean, there's, I think there's some hard feelings in Lash and there's some hard feelings in the program that there was a lack of connection. It's just kind of crazy how splintered this whole thing seems. And like I said, I I think it's pretty well that that, that's the case across the conference. I don't think it's just a Penn State thing. I think it's, uh, I think there's very, very, uh, defined tiers of who needed to know who was making the decisions and who was doing all this stuff behind the scenes. And, you know, you sort of went with that and, and maybe she was held out. I mean, you, you texted this morning, you were, you know, kind of thinking about what's the motive of saying that. And, you know, you're kind of playing both ways with that one, playing to the, to the, to the team, you're playing to the president, you're playing to the conference. And, you know, you, you kind of have to do, that's kind of the job description of the, of the athletic director, if we're honest, but still, I mean, you you just wonder what the, what the end game was there and, and going back to that. 
Well, I said last Tuesday night when we sat down and tried to comprehend everything while recording the whole process, I said, you know, Franklin sitting on ESPN Tuesday morning, uh, really coming off across as a guy who has no idea what the Big Ten leadership is going to come through with in terms of a decision. He is making his case in a public forum, and it really feels like there's a case to be made and a case to be heard. Um, so he's putting that out there. He's putting his thoughts out there. Never in a million years would I buy that Sandy Barber was also sitting in her office or wherever she was on Tuesday morning, also wondering what the verdict was going to be and not in the loop in any way and, and getting her information essentially at the same time as the rest of us or within a few hours uh, without any kind of input. And then not only that, but to go an entire week and still not know how it came to this. Again, I want to really make sure that we understand why the conversation would take place and why different conferences, uh, whether it be Pac-12 and Big Ten or, or at the lower levels or at Division II level, why at the high school level things are being pushed back into 2021. We understand the realities and, 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 and everything that goes into that. But the how is so important here. And again, just this past weekend, after the announcements of the cancellation and the postponement here uh, of the season, you saw more Penn State player p- parents writing their letter addressed to, to not just Barron, but also Kevin Warren, uh, the commissioner of the Big Ten, who has come under uh, a lot of pressure here of late. Uh, we, we saw more players uh, led by Justin Fields put, you know, sharing this petition. Justin Fields, uh, boy, he has not plunged into the 2021 NFL draft process at first, has he, Sean? He puts up a petition uh, saying that he he wants uh, the Big Ten to reconsider and reinstate the 2020 football season here in the fall, allow programs, allow individuals to determine whether they're going to opt in for such a season and then move forward in preparing for the season. It has been shared by prominent football players here on the Penn State roster as well. Pat Fryermuth, another draft prospect among those who has shared that petition. And yet here we sit, and Sandy Barber was quite, quite clear on the answer. Uh, she doesn't see them revisiting, uh, adjusting their outlook on how they feel about suiting up for any sports in the fall, uh, particularly football, which is very clearly the cash cow for this conference. And, and like I said, it goes back to, I think this is the decision that they were going to get to eventually, but the, the route they took to get there, just to get it over with and get it out of the way, I think they thought that those other conferences would just hop in with them. And it obviously hasn't been the case. And, you know, the, those three conferences are looking better for it. These two conferences are not. So I, I just don't know. And and I agree with her. I don't think there's going to be a fall season. I think there's going to be um, maybe too many people that would have to say they screwed up. And as we know, at, at a high level, and, and we're talking about diplomacy and all that, that just doesn't really happen. So um, I don't think that that's going to happen. And, and to, be, to be honest with you, even if they did turn it around for the fall, it might end up being canceled again. It's not not right. Are, are you going to salvage the season and say we're going to get started again? We everyone's got to quarantine because players may have left campus. By the time you're ready to start again, the other conferences could be crumbling, and, and you may all of a sudden be for the third time changing course. Yeah, and, and <laughs> maybe we'd get a schedule release uh, show out <laughs> yeah, of it, like the SEC did this one. week. So uh, I mean, oh, it's uh, yeah. There's a, there's so many questions there, and I think they're they're kind of putting their uh, their energy into figuring out spring. And that's a far from given as well. I mean, I don't think that that's, I don't think it's an easy answer. You've got to figure out uh, game stuff. You got to figure out eligibility stuff, kind of expect a lot of those eligibility questions to be answered by the end of the week. If that uh, happens from the NCAA or the Big Ten, it's, it's kind of still up in the air, but I think we'll have more questions or excuse me, more answers later this week. And that's going to, you know, bleed over into, okay, well, I'm a player that just has a year of eligibility left and now I have these answers. Do I look into transfer? 
transferring? Do I look into the portal or anything like that? So maybe you start to see a little bit of a chain reaction there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not good, man. Um, I, I'm going to say the spring is is going to be the most likely, but I, don't, I still don't know that that's likely because you're talking, you know, you want to talk player safety for the fall. You're going to talk, you know, in incredible amounts of, uh, of, I guess, incredible lengths that you would have to go to in the spring to make it safe for them in the spring and then the fall again. Sean, I want to carry on the conversation about possible spring scheduling and, and what may need to happen this fall to make that possible, because uh, Sandy Barber did discuss that as well at the top of the conversation yesterday. But again, it was an hour-long conversation, so by the time we got to the end, the final final uh, question of this whole process to Sandy was the third about was there a vote, wasn't there a vote, how was this decision reached, and it came from Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, and I want people to hear this one particularly, Sean, because he makes it clear that the eyes of the sports universe right now, at least folks who care about college football, and that is a huge segment of this American population, they were fixated on this phone call by the end of it because of what she was saying about what the Big Ten did or didn't do. And he opened the door for for, for this conversation at the very end. Uh, this was the final back and forth of the phone call on Monday. Sandy, if, they're, if, they're, if you're not sure a vote was taken, and I just checked uh, the Minnesota president's comment, she said that we didn't vote per se. How was this monumental decision arrived at, do you think? Uh, well, I, I'm sure uh, that the sense of the room was uh, a, a certain direction. Um, and uh, everybody felt like uh, in, in unison that this was the right thing. To, I mean, that's hard for me, Dennis. I wasn't in the room. Right. I, I, understand. I understand. You're the second you're the second administrator in the Big Ten to say that. And Twitter's blowing up right now at the prospect of, if there was no clear vote taken, then you know, then what what exactly happened? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Uh, I know that every chancellor and president moved forward, told their athletic directors that that was the decision. Turning our attention from figuring out what the Big Ten hierarchy did or did not do to, to reach this point. We're left with, as Sean referenced, uh, the possibility of a spring football season. Uh, Sandy Barber uh, saying that it is absolutely a viable uh, thing for Penn State and the Big Ten to pull off. The question becomes for them, how do you get there? And and how do you balance two potential seasons within one calendar year in 2021? Uh, A lot of reference to not just the games there, Sean, but the volume of practices, the intensity of practice over the course of the year, uh, how would you balance the games that are played uh, in the spring versus the number of games that are played in the fall? For now, Penn State has 12 games on its schedule, uh, beginning with a road trip to Wisconsin in September. They've got Auburn and a really compelling out-of-conference matchup. But uh, as Sandy Barber said, uh, whether you're projecting football in fall 2020 or you're projecting football in 2021, right now all it is is a projection. Absolutely, it is, and and there's so many questions that go along with that, and and how you handle, you know, I think if you start with the the spring, you've got to sort of uh, see the see on the back end how it's going to affect the fall. I mean, that non-conference schedule could, you know, just like we saw with these truncated schedules from the conference, that non-conference schedule could go for by the wayside, and that could affect obviously some schools a little bit lower on the pecking order. But, I mean, are you thinking of, of an eight-game season in the spring and an eight- or nine-game season in the fall? I mean, that's a lot of football to be played. I think they could do it because I think that the uh, the desire to play, at least for these players and these coaches, and they, they just want to get out there and go. And like like we said last episode, they're not making the same decisions as the presidents and the, the athletic directors. But, I mean, there's just so many questions that will go because – 
And this is one thing that we see James Franklin do very often in, in press conferences. He throws out the hypothetical and then he, you know, sort of turns it around and plays devil's advocate on himself. He says, well, what if we do that? If we do this, what happens when we do this? And then why would we do this and not do this? And, and is, there's a lot of things that you have to work through. Like I said, I think we'll get more answers in terms of, uh, sort of eligibility questions and how that works with all those. Cause I think it's a big question in terms of roster management, in terms of that level of things. But then again, I mean, safety has got to be the number one thing. And can you play two seasons in a year? Probably. Uh, but I'm not that confident. As you can hear by my voice, not incredibly confident in that. So I think you got to solve those problems. You got to figure out. And then you got to, of course, take the pandemic into uh, account. Where will it be come spring? You don't know. So, I mean, it's just uh, it's going to be a mess. I don't envy the one that has to come out with that schedule, or at least the one that has to implement that schedule. We know that they can come out with schedules for anything. So um, whoever puts that into play is going to have a lot to answer from, I think, from every level, from the presidents, from the, the ADs, and the coaches as well. Let me ask you this one. Can you burn two years of college eligibility before the first Thanksgiving of your college experience? Because that's what the big question to me is here. How do early enrollees factor into a spring season? Will they be permitted to play? And, and to what extent without burning a year of eligibility? Um, and, and if they don't play at all, is their clock just on pause and, and then it starts in the fall? Um, there's a lot of players who are motivated right now, Sean, as you know, to get on campuses early. F- you know, fall sports is going by the wayside and state after state after state. Uh, football seasons are getting pushed into the spring. If you're a high level, level uh, FBS Power 5 football prospect, that means you're probably getting ready to shift your attention to college and, and, and getting ready to, to make an impact as a freshman. And, and if you've already known that for a while, there's some states where football uh, at the high school level has been postponed since July you have probably been locked in on getting to campus early. And that's six months uh, to serve as a launching pad to come in in shape, not beat off, coming off the physical, uh, you know, attrition of your own senior football season. You know, realistically, a lot of these football players should be getting to campus as early enrollees in, in tremendous physical shape because of the time they've, they've had to prepare. Uh, and, and again, that lack of attrition. But Will the incentive kind of be taken away if they're looking at the the uh, the process and the possibility of of losing that eligibility? Essentially, starting that clock early and and damaging overall what they can accomplish or shortening what they can accomplish is just one of the many questions that we have about how this is going to work. And and also, by the way, Sean, uh, the SEC, the ACC, and Big Twelve. Let's say they were pulling off a football season here in the fall. If you're playing in the spring. You know, how is that impacting your ability to compete for a national championship? What is that season actually about? Um, and then playing again in the fall, are you going to be physically up to compete against the programs from those other conferences who have now had essentially a full year, a normal offseason to recover? All hypotheticals, that's what this conversation continues to be about and will continue to be about. But these are all things that are very much in the air that add them to the list of things that you don't feel hunky-dory about coming off of a call with, with Sandy Barber. And and on the opposite end of that eligibility spectrum, you look at uh, the guy, you know, the guys that are fifth-year seniors, fourth-year seniors, even third-year guys that want to, 
you know, test the waters of the draft and, and you kind of flip that over and you say, okay, so do we expand the rosters for, uh, for next fall or excuse me, next uh, spring and next fall where you, Penn State has eight scholarship seniors. Do you just add eight on top of that 85 and go from there and then sort of add that into it? And then you're bringing in what we got six, uh, six guys listed on 24 seven sports as, as early enrollees. And yeah, you, you mentioned that that eligibility question is a big one because say, okay, so you've got, Six guys coming in and nobody that I look to is, is a, a guaranteed day one type of contributor. But say you got a guy like Kalen King's going to come in at corner, very talented kid, got uh, a lot going for him in terms of, uh, you know, corners, uh, not an easy place to play early, but you know, you usually see guys uh, pop up and play as freshman corners. Now all of a sudden, does he play in the spring? Well, if he doesn't play in the spring, does that count as his red shirt? And then he goes on to the fall. Um, so he sits out the spring and takes a red shirt and then plays in the fall. That's, you know, it's the same thing, basically. So there, there's just so many questions that they really are going to have to have clear answers on. And I don't really think that the, that they've had enough time to digest and figure out what the, the clear answer is. Because, you know, you talk about wanting as much space and wanting as many guys on scholarship. But at the same time, you know, you you turn that right around and you have attrition every year by guys that are getting passed up, guys that are so I mean, I, I don't know the answer to these things. It's it's really very tricky to uh, to sort of put that in perspective. And then another thing that you mentioned, those three conferences, if they do play in the fall, those other two conferences play in the spring. What's that mean for championships? Uh, I mean, you're not holding out. What, do, some- what does that mean for an SEC coach? Do you think they'll be all cool about a, a Big Ten team carrying uh, significant more chunks well, of scholarship all, than they yeah, have? Yeah, but we all need... <laughs> they'll be good, right? They'll, they'll be empathetic. Just throw that scholarship money. That's fine. Um, and then on top of that, claim two or three or six national championships, whoever. Uh, you know, Alabama will get one. Pitt will get another one. You know, just everybody will get a national championship. That'll be great. Uh, but no, I mean, on, on a serious note, it's it, it kind of just throws a wrench. And if you, that's why if you don't have all five of those Power Five conferences on the same page, it creates a huge problem so i mean it's uh it's a mess it's it's gonna get messier like i said i i still not confident those three schools are going to or the, excuse me, those three conferences are going to play but at the same time the, the the further they grow apart from this uh the just the worse it looks for the big 10 well uh as we were digesting and writing and analyzing what we came out of the sandy barber uh, press conference learning and and still trying to figure out uh the sec conference was polishing off its freshly revised schedule, which was published on Monday night. So they continue to move forward. You, you scared me there. I thought something had happened in the last five minutes because you can't put your phone down no. right now without something happening with that uh, in that regard. You, you oh, well, there was something that that popped up while we were just hopping on here. I, I don't think I mentioned it yet, but there are some uh, Big Ten parents who plan on showing up at, at Big Ten headquarters um, on Friday, from what we see, Sean Wade uh, projected as a potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft next year, uh, defensive back out of Ohio State. His father putting up pictures of, of him booking a flight from Florida uh, to, to, to try to get a face-to-face meeting, apparently, with Kevin Warren. And that has been followed up with parents of Iowa players chiming in that they'll see him there. So and, and Sean, uh, there's Sean, a few days yeah. to organize something. Sean Wade's, <laughs> a, guy, a, few Sean Wade's a guy that, like Pat Fryermuth, was able to come back th- or came back this year to improve his stock. And I think Sean Wade... You're right. Could have moved into the top ten. Could have been a really, you know, high draft pick. And now all of a sudden, that's going to go. I think Mr. Wade's going to have some words for uh, for everybody there in that office in the Big Ten. I don't know if it's going to come to anything. And I, like I said, I don't know that it's. You know, I, I'm not going to say it's not worth it, but I don't know that that's going to have the uh, the effect that you hope it will when you fill out those letters when you write those things. 
Needless to say, this is an evolving story, and there will probably be plenty more to talk about uh, when we record a second episode this week. And, and uh, Sandy Barber, who was also part of the NCAA Oversight Committee for Football, um, she did say that, that that she'd expect this week uh, for some initial structured plans about uh, what the road ahead will look like for these fall sports athletes. And uh, she talked about a potential hybrid spring ball kind of deal uh, in the fall to, to get ready and tune up for a spring sports season. But a lot of questions to be answered. By the way, Sean, we, we, we before we move on, let's note. Spring sports, aside from getting to see football, which is great, we all want to see it, and the competition, and players getting to play, and coaches get to coach, universities get paid when football games are played. We've talked about that a lot. That hangs over everything. That would apply to spring sports, and you better believe that uh, TV partners would be very interested uh, in having the rights to these uh, spring Big Ten matchups and high-level football in, in a window that they've never had it before. I agree. It's uh, you know, it's money. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. When we started talking about this way back in the spring, we, we kind of said there was no way that this could go this direction because of the money, and that's you know that's where it's all going to come back around to. And it's you know it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I guess that's where we're at right now. Uh, we'll put a put a, a cork in this conversation because uh, we could go on and on about uh, an hour with Sandy Barber, but coverage is up on lines247.com. Uh, when we come back around, a, a notable uh, top schools list for an upcoming commitment, uh, Penn State interested in that one, and we also uh, turn our attention to the five-star mailbag. As always, uh, stay with us here in the Lines 24-7 podcast. We now look at recruiting, and if you missed it in our thir- Friday edition uh, last week, we had Landon Tangwall on to talk 2021 recruiting classes, reaction to the fast start uh, for the 2022 class, which now has four commitments in, in that 19-day span, uh, most recently adding a second tight end last week. So check out that conversation. We're going to keep looking at the 2022 class now, Sean, because uh, Ken Talley, one of the top players in Pennsylvania's 22 class out of Northeast High School in Philadelphia, uh, not only does he have a commitment date ready uh, in September, September 8th to be exact, but he's got a list of contenders and Penn State is on that list. No surprise. And uh, the 2022 recruiting class uh, momentum leads you to wonder uh, if this might be a key pickup right around the corner. Especially in state. And this is uh, a key battle for Penn State because you've got uh, other schools. Tennessee is is one that's been prevalent in his recruitment so far. And I think that, you know, I think Penn State eventually wins this one. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see where he projects at the next level, you know, really look to be an edge rusher type guy, uh, defensive end. He doesn't have the size really to, to, to play that out. And, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where do you have the athleticism to play linebacker at the next level? I think Tally does. Um, a lot to like about him. We saw him at camp last year. And so, I mean, it gives you a little bit of flexibility. He's probably a three, four natural pass rushing uh, type linebacker, but you can, turn him into a traditional linebacker. Penn State's had some success with doing that with some of those guys, uh, some guys, a guy named Parsons did that. So I'm uh, not saying that he's anywhere close to that, but you know, it's, it's been done before. So I like where Penn State stands going into his uh, September announcement. I think it would be good. I, well, I think it would be big for Penn State. Um, they sort of get moving in the defensive side of the ball. You get going in state. You've got a guy that's fairly uh, vocal with other guys in his class. And, you know, you sort of push that rock a little bit down the hill and, and, and hope it starts to roll on that side of the ball. Well, you know who else filled that kind of edge rusher uh, mold, of course, was Deion Barnes uh, at Penn State, eventually getting an opportunity to, to compete in the NFL, was most recently with Northeast High School in Philadelphia, um, now an assistant with Penn State football. We've talked about that potential impact for him on the recruiting trail, and this will be quite the splash. And 
Tally, six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds. You look at his twenty four seven Sports profile, uh, ranked uh, number eight among Pennsylvania prospects in this cycle, a uh, number eleven nationally among weak side defensive ends. Uh, One sixty four overall, so very highly regarded prospect uh, so far. Penn State with one in state commitment, Sean Bo Prabula at quarterback, and he mentioned early on coming off of his commitment how important it was for them to have a strong year in the home state for twenty twenty two. And we, we haven't seen Tally for a while. Uh, I'm not going to say he's 6'3". I'm going to say he's closer to 6'1". That's just kind of where we're at right now in terms of feeling out these prospects because we haven't been able to see them and get out and do the camps and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to tap the brakes on the 6'3". What do you say, 230? I read that it on seems, this fancy site called 24-7 Sports. That seems like a bit <laughs> of a stretch, and I'm curious who put that in because that uh, that's that's quite a leap from where he was. So, But anyway, yeah, you're right. I mean, just regardless, you've got a guy that came – he came to camp last year, ran a 4'6", uh, did a really good job as a defensive end among bigger prospects. He went up against you know guys like Nick Dawkins, and you know that defensive line group also had Fatorma Malba and, and Cole Brevard and, and, and guys of that nature. So um, you know he kind of fit right in with there, uh, earned his offer. It's kind of like Elijah Judy and this you know his teammate at Northeast who's committed to Georgia, undersized, um, decent length for being undersized, but at the same time explosive off the edge. Guys that uh, can continue to grow, kind of like Shaka was back in high school, just had this. This sort of wiry, thin frame, and you know you're not sure which way, which direction he's going to go. But when he gets into structure, when he takes off and and does some things in the weight program, you know you get an opportunity to see what kind of athlete you have. And Ken Talley, the top six that he told to uh, 24/7 Sports uh, analyst Brian Doan: uh, Penn State, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia. Rutgers and Maryland um, and Tally. Uh, you look at this Philadelphia class, it, it starts off with Anai White, who is a five-star prospect at Imhotep Institute. Um, really like that kid a lot. I think everyone does, but he's, at- he's the big one. Man. <laughs> yeah. He's the fi- he's the five-star for a reason. You look at his tape, he's got a lot to like. And, you know, we can talk about Ken Tally as a potential defensive end at 6'1", 6'2", whatever, but Anai White, I mean, mm-hmm. he's every bit of 6'5", 225, uh, beautiful looking prospect. And he's a guy that's, uh, has got it together on the football field already. So yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. This is, uh, that, that he's the big one. He, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you look at Penn State wanting to establish itself or reestablish itself in Philly and that surrounding, uh, South Jersey area, Delaware, uh, down there where they've kind of gone away in the last couple of years. Anai White, who, who says something's coming at the end of the month. I, I tend to think that's a, a list, not a commitment, right. but. Uh, Dion Barnes, there's a there's a big there's a big test for you right off the bat, buddy. No doubt about it. And, and you got Keenan Nelson at St. Joe's Prep in Philly. You've got Anthony Johnson and Newman Garetti in Philly. All those players uh, considered uh, top 200 players in, Phil- in in the national 2022 class uh, there in Philadelphia. Uh, so an opportunity for Penn State to, to get one on board in September. We'll see where it goes. And this is a 2022 class. Uh, like the 2021 class uh, that has been looking for opportunities to take their visits. And, and we shift uh, for the five-star mailbag now, Sean, into the 2021 recruiting cycle because that's where our first question takes us. Uh, we are now about four months away, believe it or not, from the early signing period in December. And uh, this question says, could that early signing period be pushed back to allow recruits time to visit schools? Sean, a quick reaction from me, and I'll turn it back to you. I don't think you need to push it back. I think if guys are ready to sign, they can sign. Um, but I, I think that February period that was absolutely nothing on the radar last year, not anticipating that kind of winter this time around. 
I agree with you 100%. <laughs> there's 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 absolutely no reason to move that back and you know there there's two signing periods for a reason right now in terms of uh you know if you know what you want to do especially at this time period and and obviously these rules were not written for a pandemic or for when guys couldn't visit or anything like that but um you want to get it done you want to get it uh over with and and really we're talking you know 70 80% of kids, this is really that they're unaffected by this. And, and going back to, you know, filling out the last uh, quarter of your class or whatever, that's really where it comes into play. And that's why you've got the second, uh, the second signing period in February. Do they move that back? I mean, you really don't have to because you don't exactly have to sign, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to, uh, the first, Fe- uh, excuse me, the first Wednesday in February, which is the traditional signing period that we sort of all grew up with. You don't have to sign that. That window is open from the start of February or the first Wednesday in February, I think through April or, or uh, yeah. So once you get that taken care of, you don't really have to, we saw guys that we've seen guys sign late. Uh, you don't have to make that decision. So if you do want to hold out, if you do want to wait until you can take visits, I mean, go for it. You can go until next June. It doesn't really matter. So I think that those are important dates and, and the NCAA isn't going to want to sort of muck that up and change things that, because if, if you change that, then do you bounce back something else? Do you bounce back a dead period? Do you bounce back uh, things in the 2022 recruiting calendar? I don't think they want to do that. Here's a, a kind of a twilight zone possibility. Next spring, 2021, You've got a, a, a an undecided, unsigned wide receiver prospect in the 2021 class, a high school senior on campus, hasn't been able to visit anywhere, gets the chance to do so. He's already looking at the 2021 quarterback in his class on the practice field for Penn State because Christian Veyu enrolled early and they're underway with at least some kind of practice on the field, if not a full-fledged season in the spring. Those are the kind of scenarios you could see actually play out here. Oh, you could see that. And you could also see guys, you know, when we talk about that, uh, when they instituted that December signing period, we talked about guys that are bouncing out in the market on January. And all of a sudden, this mid three star guy with with, you know, an average list of offers is one of the more coveted guys in your region or in the country. So, yeah, you could see that after that, you know, that could be on top of that February signing period. You could go into the spring, a very hot commodity because, you know, guys have or schools have space open. Schools have scholarships to give. And all of a sudden you can take visits again. And I can I could see that I could see a scenario where it plays out like that as well. And I don't think it'll be the, the norm, but I think it you know, there will be exceptions to that. And that could could really happen for somebody. I think another possible title wave for this topic is if the NCAA feels comfortable I don't know if this will be possible, if they'll get there. If they feel comfortable enough, let's say after Thanksgiving, to open an official visit window, and and that goes into December, and you roll into December a few weeks away from this early signing period, and then all of a sudden, for the first time, everybody committed to every school has a chance to visit other schools cost-free. Man, that that could be something. If if they decide at this point, we're getting to the point where we're going to be at least into any kind of season that the SEC, ACC, Big Twelve would put on before we're going to see any opportunities to take official visits. Um, I can't imagine you'll see them for game days, but then again, they're going to have game days and they want to have fans down there, so maybe they would have recruits there. It could could be a whole different world than what we're experiencing up here in the Northeast. Uh, But Sean, yeah, what happens in that scenario? where you've got other conferences playing football late in the season or preparing for, imagine this, some kind of playoff format at the end of the season. 
And, and meanwhile, you've got Penn State and coaches showing you the highlights from 2019. Uh, and just like a Big Ten coach, just like a Pac-12 coach, there's so much of a chance for 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 this to, to become such an on-balance situation where it is anything but an even playing field. And we know that there's a few elites who always rule the recruiting world. Uh, and then there's 30, 30 other schools that are somewhere in the mix. Uh, but right now, you're looking for a structure where it, it's just not an even equation at all. I believe we call that more questions than answers yeah. because I, I do not <laughs> have the Continuing with that the one. theme, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a great question uh, and, and a valid one. And we, you know, send us your recruiting questions. I've noticed that our mailbag, a lot of it was about football in the fall and, and maybe help us talk about recruiting here because there's a lot of interesting storylines. If you've been saving something on recruiting because maybe you've been focusing in on the fall season, now's the time. Get that question in. Uh, we do have another to get here, and it also involves adjusting to the current climate for college football. And it starts here. If Micah Parsons' decision to sit out for his final year is validated by coming by becoming a top 10 draft pick, do you see this becoming a more realistic option for a select few exceptional players each draft, knowing their stock can't get much higher and foregoing that third season of eligibility? Uh, this topic came up for Jadavian Clowney a few years back. Nick Bosa took half of his final year off due to injury. Sean, there's the question. They, they served up a couple examples of recent, uh, you know, talented juniors who, 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 you know, people wondered if they needed to play football. Uh, what's your thoughts here? As, as again, I mentioned Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, the two guys at the top of the draft board are kind of the faces of this push to play full-fledged football in the fall. Well, number one, I hope not. I mean, that's the, that's the big thing. Um, but you know, we're talking about Clowney. We're talking about Bosa. I think a Chase Young last year, guys that just were no brainers, you know, just guys that were going to dominate or dominated as probably sophomores and we're going to go into their next year expected to dominate and eventually did. So, I mean, I, I could see a scenario where that happens. It would have to be the elite of the elite. Um, I, I don't know, you know, if there's a, if there's a typical season this year, I think Parsons plays. I think all these guys play. Um, but it's, it's certainly given them something to think about. And it's sort of on that slope where I guess you can connect it back to, you know, guys sitting out of bowl games. And I think with the Parsons decision, I think back to Jalen Smith getting, you know, injured in that bowl game. And that's probably got to be on his mind. And now, all of a sudden, you're going to see a similar situation, not a similar knee injury situation, but you're going to see Micah Parsons opting out, becoming a top 10 pick, validating that decision as the as the question said. So I, I, I certainly hope not, but I think that there's logic into believing that it's it's not going to be the last time that it happens. And, you know, like I said, that's unfortunate, but at the same time, these guys are, are making the decisions if they get the right feedback, which not, not all these guys do. I mean, what, what do we think? There's probably... 60 first round picks next year. At least that's how they think it. So I, I don't know that it's going to work out, but it's got to be elite of elite. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Penn State, Micah Parsons is pretty much in that category because I didn't know, I don't know how much higher he was going to climb. I don't think he was going to fall, but I don't know how much higher he was going to climb in that draft, maybe going from seven to five or something like that, which is a good chunk of, uh, of cash. But at the same time, uh, you know, over the long run that year, you might earn that back, you know? And by the way, we continue to see 
players opt out and, and, and turn attention to the draft. Kerry Vincent, a senior cornerback for LSU, a defending champion with a schedule still in front of it here in the fall, uh, among the the latest to opt out and focus in on training for NFL preparation in 2021. So that is something that is spreading. But in the case of Parsons, we're talking about a rising junior. And, you know, I remember, Sean, back in I think it was 2002, 2003, um, where we saw Maybe, you know, we were wondering, are we on the edge of a wave of, of this trending where freshmen and sophomores, uh, you know, try to shut it down at the college level and take off for the NFL? Uh, Maurice Claret was the notable guy who, who went to make the leap from Ohio State. It turned into a kind of a tragedy of sorts for him at the end. Mike Williams ended up having to take a year off of football, making the jump from, from Southern Cal to the NFL, made a bunch of money as a first round pick, didn't forge ahead with the career. And now here we are almost two decades later having the same conversation of, of is there a point for a young player where he has proven enough on a college football field where it becomes wise for him to shut it down. And, and man, I, I know that's never going to sit right with a lot of people. Um, and, and I think this is just a case where we're in a pandemic. I mean, we're and he's a father. And there's a lot of stuff you can stack up with Micah Parsons that, that, that makes it a unique case. But uh, he's not going to be the only guy that, that we see. I, I, and I mentioned this before. There may be other players in this Penn State roster that depending on how things move forward with a plan for spring football and what that might mean, you could see uh, guys who are redshirt freshmen last year be done with be done with college football because the NFL is an opportunity for them. So uh, I think that's all part of the conversation right now. And um, I don't think, though, that, that we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, I'm surprised, actually, that we haven't seen more players go that route, Sean. Um, and I'm also been surprised at, at, at guys like Justin Fields, who could certainly just turn turn it uh, turn it towards the NFL and be OK, um, still kind of sticking with wanting to play college football. So uh, I don't know where it goes from here, though. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, I think it's probably a lot easier to do that. Your quarterback of Ohio State's got a national title uh, hopes. It's got uh, Heisman hopes. I mean, no disrespect to Micah, but if you're not a quarterback right now, I mean, yeah, do you have a chance to to do that? And and the, the and he knows Trevor Lawrence can play. I mean, Justin Fields yeah. is, is staring at at Justin Lawrence going to be in the spotlight playing. Um, number one pick, number two pick. You know, you make, you're going to be a rich man either way. You're going to be uh, given the franchise keys either way, but. Hey, number one pick that weighs on a lot of the minds of these guys. And let's remember Fields and Lawrence were at the center of the debate when 24 seven sports was to try and trying to determine the number one overall prospect in that 2018 recruiting class. Got that one right. No doubt. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very, very silver lining in that, uh, in that regard. But no, you're right. And I think that there's, and this is when, when I talk to people about Micah's decision, you talk about potential floor versus potential ceiling. I don't think Micah's moves all that much playing or not playing. Um, so I, I, I can see why he wanted to sit out, take a year of wear and tear off that body. And, you know, I, I, I certainly get it with the quarterbacks. I mean, you're talking one and two, but one and two, could end up determining the fate of your career, you know, depending what team you land with. Um, you know, I assume Washington's going to be up there next year. So that's obviously something that nobody wants, you know, especially <laughs> anyway. Uh, Washington but, football uh, team. The right. Washington fo- trademark. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really see, I don't see it becoming a trend. Like I said, you got to be the elite of an elite and it's going to take somebody that's, you know, just ready to, to throw their hands up in the air. I mean, to really, really the, the, the thing that's here is the rule is the three years and out rule. I mean, that's mm-hmm. 
that's what you're testing. That's what you're looking for somebody to sort of break through with. And then when that happens, yeah, I mean, I absolutely can see this happening. I mean, I think you, I think we would have seen that if this was going to be a trend that we see sophomores shutting it down and saying, I'm going to spend the next 18 months preparing for my NFL arrival. I think that would have happened by now. We have to remember the context in which this is all happening in a freaking pandemic. And and I'm just not certain that that this is something that players want to play. Like they want to play football, they want to go out there and prove themselves. It's one thing to be said uh, in, in skipping out on uh, you know the freaking Chick Fil A bowl um, in some random town in uh, in early January, but it, it's a different thing for trying to, to to skip out on an entire season, especially if you're an elite player with individual goals and certainly with, with team aspirations as well to, to turn your back on a team. That's difficult to do. I think it's a point now where you can move to the exit door and you're going to have a level of understanding from your team and from your coaches. Really hard to face them in a different circumstance where, where our nation is healthy. We're heading towards a football season and you say, I'm shutting it down. It would be different kind of perception, but uh, we spent a lot of time on, on, on this topic. And, and I think, you know, I could probably talk in circles on it as I already have, Sean. Um, I, at the end of the day, as I said, if Pat Fryermuth makes the move now, it, it, it makes plenty of sense, but uh, he still hasn't. And he's another example. I, I'm giving Justin Fields the, the love here, but Je- Pat Fryermuth and, and his, and his parents for that matter, his mother, Diane in particular, they're fighting to see him get out there in a Penn State football uniform. Maybe he does it in the spring if it's a possibility, but uh, he wants to play football again, and, and there's something to be commended about that for a guy who could easily say, hey, I'm going to get into uh, training mode, and I'm going to go get paid. Hasn't happened to this point. And to connect these two questions, I do think they move the draft back if there is a spring season, and that's going to be you know a little mm-hmm. bit of a, of a cushion there for those guys that may want to go back. And, and I think the NFL – stood firm on it this year and the more people that I've talked to you kind of got to do this for the college coaches you kind of got to do this for the your minor league system essentially so I do think they move the draft back if there is a a spring season which obviously could factor into guys uh, decision making in January or whenever they would start the season. That's going to wrap it up for the five-star mailbag this episode please leave your questions and your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify and Stitcher, along with Apple Podcasts. Of course, stay informed on lines247.com. A lot of reaction uh, to our conversation with Sandy Barber from Monday. We have James Franklin on a phone call Wednesday, and that's our first availability with him since the Big Ten postponed the season. So certainly stay tuned for more coverage from that and on our second episode here on the podcast later in the week. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast.